Hello and welcome to BibleQuest.tv. Uh, we are live broadcasting the Tuesday edition. I want to thank everyone for joining us. I'm having a few technical difficulties, guys, so let me bring you into the program quick so I can try to take care of those other technical issues. Scott, glad to have you coming in from Gettysburg. How are you doing, Scott? I'm doing all right, Drew. Good, good. And Jeff coming in from Exton, Pennsylvania. How are you doing? I, I am here and doing well. Good to see you. And uh, the reason I'm having technical difficulties because Jonathan, who is our weekly web engineer, is away at the lectures down in Florida College. And so I'm trying to handle everything on this end. I'm not making excuses. I'm just apologizing for the disorientation I'm experiencing. No, let's just say we're just blaming Jonathan and leave it at that. Okay. Did, did I stop sharing yeah. the screen? Maybe I never even shared the screen. Who knows? He gets to be in Florida, so so we can we can blame him. Yeah. Okay. Right. And I was just thinking a minute ago, too, Drew, you and I are stuck here in Pennsylvania while, beautiful state, by the way, but <laughs> we're here all the time. We're here right now. Jonathan is in Florida. Where is Stephen? Uh, on the way home from Jerusalem. Where was Jeff last week? Guatemala. Guatemala. And so Drew and I are talking about that we need to do something like a, an Amazon canoe trip or something to be gone next week because everybody else gets to be on. I like that. So, uh, I'm, I'm speaking about Guatemala, we're going to come back to that in, in a minute, but not yet. Go so, ahead, go ahead, so go ahead, uh, uh, Scott, we had a comment come in from a, a viewer. Why don't you go ahead and address it? All right. So uh, a couple of comments from uh, one listener, and one had to do with uh, bringing other people to be able to make comments and such. And so let's remind everybody here at the beginning that our format is we're wanting comments from uh, people. So if you want to submit a question or make a comment, you can go and, and submit that there at uh, BibleQuest.tv or BibleQuest.org. I think you can get there either way. And if you would like to come on audio-wise and, and discuss with us uh, live and uh, uh, in voice, uh, contact Drew there, and he can set that up. And so we're wanting interaction. Uh, and so if you've got a comment or a question, uh, agreeing or disagreeing, uh, if you're a believer, if you're an atheist, uh, if we're discussing a doctrinal point and you believe something different than what we're talking about. Understand where we're going to be going each time is the name of the program is Bible Quest because where are we looking as a source of authority for our answers from, gentlemen? We're looking for answers in the Bible. Right. Uh, but we, we welcome comments and questions, so uh, please uh, please do that anytime and do that today, please. Uh, there was also one other comment in there, and it had to do with the abortion discussion last week. We want to touch on briefly before turning to the subject of contentment and uh, asking Jeff some about his recent trip to Guatemala. And the question had to do with vasectomies, males having vasectomies. And the, the viewer uh, noted that this was a different topic. And that's one of the first things that we do want to notice. Um, uh, there's a huge difference between the choice of a vasectomy, which is something that means a person will not be having a pregnancy, not be having children, 
and an abortion, which is where there's already a baby on the way. There was already uh, a pregnancy and choosing to kill that baby. Two very, very different things. But real quickly, just what are your comments regarding vasectomy? When would it not be appropriate? Uh, uh, when would it be appropriate? Or might it be appropriate? Well, uh, first of all, it, 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 obviously, if I'm single and I believe the Bible is the Word of God, then I have no need for a vasectomy. I, I, I shouldn't be doing anything that would be bringing about a pregnancy anyway. Right. It's just like a Christian that's mind, a 16 year old Christian that's minding his business and doing what he should. He doesn't need a false ID saying he's 18. Right. Exactly. Okay. Uh, secondly, I, I think one thing that people need to understand um, as God has set things up, children are part of marriage. The, the sexual relationship in marriage is not just for procreation, but procreation is a part of marriage. Um, and so when people go into marriage thinking, well, I just want to get married, but I don't ever want to have kids. This is not a biblical perspective. So somebody who's thinking, well, I'm going to get married. I'd better get a vasectomy because we don't want to have kids. I don't think that would be in, in keeping with God's word. Um, on the other hand, there might be a situation where somebody has gotten married and he has five children now. And at this point in life, the circumstances are such that they really um, shouldn't be taking on more, have, having more children. And maybe then a vasectomy would be something that would be something they could consider without. You could also have a medical situation where after there's been a dangerous, complicated pregnancy, a doctor advises it'd be really dangerous to have another pregnancy. And vasectomy might be a very helpful thing to do. But let's, let's take a look at a biblical passage that shows the natural idea of, of children being born to a, uh, a part of marriage. First um, Peter chapter 5, Paul is talking about widows, and he's talking about the elderly widows being enrolled and taken care of by the church. If they fit Timothy the 5, I think you said First Peter. I think you mean First Timothy 5. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I, I, I meant Timothy, and I'm open to Timothy. Didn't realize I said Peter. Thanks for that. First Timothy chapter, I must have said Peter because I almost said Peter again. <laughs> First Timothy chapter five, uh, it says in verse 11, younger widows refuse, uh, well, no, that's not the right verse. What verse am I looking for? Oh yeah, 14. I, I'm, I'm doing a terrible job of presenting. Well, hey, let me, let me, let me bail you out here. Peter, yeah, I, Peter agreed with Paul on this subject. <laughs> yeah, that's, Thank you very much. First uh, Timothy 5, verse 14, I desire, therefore, that younger widows marry their children, rule the household, giving no occasion to the adversary for reviling. Uh, and so that, that's, that's a natural desire, and it's a good thing. It's where children come from. And as the, uh, the Bible says in the Old Testament, children are are a gift of the Lord or a heritage of the Lord. Maybe some translations, blessed is a man whose quiver is full of them. You would have had women in Bible times. We read about some women who were barren, who were unable to have children, but you don't see the Bible saying things like, well, women should love their husbands. And if they have children, they should love the children also. You would expect that in a culture where children are viewed as optional but, for example, in Titus chapter 2, women are urged, our older women are to train the younger women 
verse 4, that they may train the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. Again, the point isn't that it's an automatic that you're going to have children. Some women can. But the assumption is this is the norm because this was God's plan. Yeah. Uh, even going back to Genesis 2, for this reason shall a man leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The intent was not that that would happen one time, you know, <laughs> end with Cain, but you, you, you see the progression. Now, let's say this, though. There was an idea that was popularized. I want to see if either of you have run into this. I've run into more than one family that had this idea. There was an author, I won't go into her name, but she wrote a book some, I don't know, 25, 30 years ago that really affected a lot of people's thinking. And it was the idea that uh, you should not limit in any, uh, well, I don't, I don't want to misrepresent what she said, but the argument was this. The Bible says children are a gift of the Lord, and there's no other gift in the Bible that, from God that we would think we should limit. And so, like, I knew of families where maybe there are uh, multiple children that have been a vasectomy, and so then they reversed the vasectomy because, well, you're not supposed to limit God's gifts. Um, and wh what about that argument? Well, Since children are a gift of the Lord, uh, it should not be limited. There's no other gift from the Lord that should we would ever place a limit on. What do you think about that argument? I, I, this is probably not the best answer, but I, I'll throw this out. Um, see if there's a parallel here. Um, when David had committed his sin with Bathsheba, he is rebuked by Nathan the prophet, who's speaking for God. And God through Nathan says to David, verse 8 of 2 Samuel 12, I also gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your care, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. So here you have these wives are a gift of the Lord to David, and yet they were kings, even kings were specifically warned not to multiply their wives. They were to limit the number of wives, even in a period of time when they had more than one. It's probably not the best answer to your question, but. But it shows that there's, that it's an erroneous argument. How about spiritual gifts? Oh, perfect. That's a great example. Yeah. So I've got the gift of tongues and I insist on speaking, you know, whether there's an interpreter or not. Yeah. And even if, Two or three other people have already spoken a tongue. It's a gift, and I'm not going to limit it. That's right. And that, uh, that, by the way, is a mentality that people have about this idea about a gift from the Lord. Well, this is my talent from the Lord. I, you can't keep me from using it. Yes. Yes. And how about food? First Timothy chapter 4, every creature of God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. Ooh, yeah, food a is a gift of God. Limit your intake, though, or you will rue the day that you got that gift. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So that's just, that's, uh, uh, it's, a, it's an erroneous argument. That I, I don't know if you guys have heard that before, but I've uh, known more than one family that bought into that argument. True. Uh, forgive me. I've been trying to get the YouTube thing going. I finally got it going. And I so I came in on the latter part of the discussion i'm not understanding the argument that's being made the argument was made maybe 30 years ago in a book that was popular in some circles encouraged to, now i like having a lot of children i i would encourage people to have a lot of children we had six 
But oh. say, just to back up, apparently this was a book arguing against the idea of family planning, against the idea yes. that, that yes, basically, say, um, six children we don't want to have anymore. And I don't know that it said you couldn't, you had to do, I don't think she argued you had to do everything you could to have as many as possible, but the idea was let the Lord do your plan, family planning, et cetera, et cetera. And the argument made was since children are a gift of the Lord, anything that is a gift to the Lord, we shouldn't try to limit. And that was the argument. And so I've known of people that then took this very seriously and thought that they shouldn't limit, you know, uh, and, and the thing is that it's just a flawed statement. Just because some Lord doesn't mean that you need to have as much of it as possible. Um, and we gave two examples or three examples. Food is a gift from God. That doesn't mean that I need to go to the buffet and sit there until they kick me out saying, well, it's a gift to God. I'm not going to live at that gift. Um, spiritual gifts is a gift of God, but it doesn't mean I have to insist on keeping all my tongues speaking when there's no interpreter. And uh, Jeff mentioned the same thing about wives. Not, not to be multiplied back then, you know, being given some wives. Uh, let, me, right. let me just re, uh, repeat what you had said earlier. We want to invite uh, anyone in the audience to participate with their opinion or questions by typing in the, uh, the, the, ta the text chat window or in the Zoom chat window. Or if you're in Zoom, you can even call in with your audio and present a live question and comment and opinion and on anything we're talking about, or even something we're not talking about yet, that's the purpose of the program is to uh, discuss Bible things from the Bible perspective, topics that are current, and uh, invite people to participate in the discussion. I, I know you said that. I just wanted to reiterate it, that that's yeah. how you do it. And before moving to Guatemala in, in our discussion here, I would like to say something. As a father, and as a father of six, uh, I think large families are great. The, the, the text in the Old Testament didn't say the children are a gift of the Lord. Blessed is the man who has a tiny amount of them. Although each one is a blessing, blessed is those whose quiver is full. It is a great blessing. Uh, there can be a point, depending on your family structure, in which the more children you have, maybe the less time you have to devote to each of them. Um, and you can look at your own family and, and, uh, see, you know, when you're getting overstretched and such, uh, and think about things like that. Um, but I just, as an aside here, one of the great blessings of having a lot of kids and even kids of different, uh, ages, I've got some friends right now who are kind of going through this. They've got some teenagers and a baby. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, the baby is easier to take care of because you've got more helpers and more people interacting with the baby. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. That's just, uh, yeah, Libby and I have four children, every one of them different. We have 11 grandchildren, every one of them different, every one a joy. Uh, and I understand as a young parent, you get to that point, you have two and you, you, your wife is pregnant or, or if you're the wife, you're pregnant. How in the world can we handle one more? It, it always seems like we can't handle any more than we have. And yet when you have the one more, somehow it doesn't seem like, you know, how, how in the world did, now we have three, how in the world did we think two was a handful? It's yeah, yeah that's right. No, but, but at the same time, you're so glad and yeah. uh, you're so happy to have them. 
So I, I endorse that same. Yeah. Okay. Jeff, you just got back from Guatemala. Tell us a little bit about it. Back from Guatemala. Well, there's one thing in particular I want to tell you about. You know, Guatemala would be considered a third world country, um, to be sure, when you're in uh, the capital city or when you're in the second largest city, Quetzalcoatl, which is where I was. It really, the um, lifestyle, uh, the amenities that people have available, how, how safe you feel is not that different than in many urban areas in our culture here in the United States. I, I, I would not feel any uh, worse about being in Quetzaltenango than in parts of Philadelphia. But that being said, in the rural areas of Guatemala, certainly you'll find people living on dirt floors. You'll find many people cooking on little outdoor makeshift um, stove kinds of things. Um, but here's the point I want to I want to mention. I was talking with some of the Christians in Guatemala, and they are, they were expressing a concern about people migrating illegally from Guatemala to the United States. And this may surprise some of our viewers because here in the United States, what do we hear about people migrating to the United States from Latin, from Central America? The, the re, what are the reasons they they are immigrating? What do we what do we hear? Survival. To, yeah, to survive, they have to do this. They can't live down there. The Christians in Guatemala were saying, when, when people leave here and they cross borders illegally, that's wrong. And they were saying, when they go to the United States and they ask for amnesty on the basis that they would starve here in Guatemala, that there's not enough food here in Guatemala, the Christians in Guatemala were saying, that's just not true. That's not being honest. We have plenty to eat here. And they, can, they may not be able to afford to, for a couple to go out and blow $40 on a meal for two at, at a restaurant, but they eat well. They eat fine. And, and so here's the point. They don't have everything that many of our listeners have, but they're content. And I think that'd be something for us to talk about today. I think that's a great topic. Well, there's a book in our New Testament where Paul talks about contentment. What book is it, and what does he say? Well, it would be Philippians chapter 4. And what are the circumstances? It's, uh, let me give you a little background here for this. One time years ago, and Jeff, you'll know who this was. There was a young uh, woman who was having an affair, and she wanted to divorce her husband and take the two little kids, they were maybe three or four and maybe one, maybe three and one, and she wants the husband just to give up the children and she'll take them away. And uh, I had a conversation with her and I said, why do you want a divorce? Why do you want to leave? And she said, because I'm not happy. Hmm. And I said, I'm not happy you know, with this man, I'm not happy in this apartment. And not, not in, in this apartment, is that in this said? apartment, right. right? So she didn't like being married to this guy, she didn't like being in this apartment, and so I'm not happy. Was this I your said, wife? Were you happy when you married him? She said, No. I said, Have you ever been happy? She said, No. Ah. I said, if you were not happy before and you've never been happy, changing men and changing apartments yeah. no. is not going to make you happy. Right. And I said, I've got a letter from a guy overseas. He's a prisoner 
accused of a crime he didn't commit, realizes he might get executed. He's got no wife. He's got no children. He's got some kind of a health issue. And people that should be his friends are stabbing him in the back. No way that guy could possibly be happy unless his circumstances change. Yeah. And, and I said, how do you suppose he felt? Hot and she went, miserable. Yeah. I said, no. I said, the guy is the Apostle Paul. Oh. And the book is Philippians. So tell us a little bit about this letter and then particularly about chapter four. So in chapter what are his circumstances? Well, okay, what you've already described the circumstances, but let, well, let's back up to chapter one. In uh, Philippians chapter one and verse 12 and 13, Paul says, I would have you know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have fallen out rather to the progress of the gospel. Paul's there. What had happened to him? He'd gone to Jerusalem, was falsely accused of taking a Gentile into the temple. They were going to beat him up probably to death. They were trying to, and, and the Romans come down and they grab hold of him and they try to figure out what's, what's the problem, what's going on, take him into custody. He goes through a series of trials. He ends up in custody of the Romans for a couple of years in Caesarea before he is sent to Rome uh, to have his case heard before the emperor. And now he is in Rome and he's not a free man. And so he says in verse 13, so that my bonds became manifest in Christ throughout the whole Praetorian guard and to all the rest. So here's a man in bonds. He's a prisoner in Rome. And he writes this letter. And then what does he say? Well, uh, there's a lot of joy in the letter, a lot of urging people to rejoice in the letter. And then he says this in chapter 4, verse 10. Just a second. Let, before you do verse 10, I'd like to make one point on verse 4, and then we'll get to verse 10. Just remind us what chapter you're in. This is chapter 4, Philippians 4, verse 4. As Jeff said, the word joy and rejoice show up more often in this letter than any of Paul's letters. And somebody read verse 4, please. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now think about this for a minute. What are some things that the three of us take joy in? Drew, you just got a pretty cool car recently. Uh, what kind of car do you have? I'll tell you, I was rejoicing yesterday. The weather got warm enough. I put the top down for about 10 minutes. My little Miata. <laughs> yeah. And so is that the first time you got to drive? Because you just bought it during cold weather. Is that the first time you got to drive it? No, I had it down for two minutes the day I got it. But that was back in October. So I was oh, waiting okay, gotcha, for another gotcha. day to come. <laughs> yeah. And so that was you, you, you enjoyed that very thoroughly. Are you going to always get to have that Miata? No. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, there's junkyards all around the country that have some Miatas in them that once upon a time, somebody was full of joy because they just bought. <laughs> um, Proverbs 5 says to do what with the wife of your youth? And not your young wife, but the wife of your youth. <laughs> Rejoice, in, Rejoice the wife in her. Every married couple is that stay together and do what God said unless they die at the same time, one of them is going to become a widow or a widower, and they're not going to keep that situation. Yeah. We can rejoice in our health, but unless the Lord comes, there's one thing I guarantee all of us are going to lose. Our health. So all of these things that we take joy in, it's not wrong to take joy in them. We can lose them and will lose them. 
What is the one thing they couldn't take away from Paul? His relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so in the midst of his liberty being taken away and the potential of his life being taken away, they can't take away Jesus. And so look where he puts his joy. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Okay, now Jeff, take us down to where you're going to. I mean, you've you've implied this, but the thing that they could not take away is something that he would not lose. It's not just that they couldn't take it away, but he was going to have that no matter what happened to him in, in that imprisonment in Rome. He was going to have an eternal life, an eternal reward given to him by a God who created the original paradise, the Garden of Eden, and everything that has gone wrong since the Garden of Eden is really a consequence of sin. And it's sin that brings about all the difficulties in our lives, the hardships, and the things that are, that are miserable. Um, and Paul knew he had a God who, to whom he was reconciled, who was, had, had a city, a, a better country prepared for him uh, that would be free from sin. And so Paul had something to look forward to. All right, so what he says in Philippians 4, verse 10, is I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your thought for me. The, the Philippians were people who were uh, willing to send financial aid to Paul. And he thanks them. He says, where indeed you did indeed take thought, but you lacked opportunity. There may have been other times when they their, their thoughts were with him, even if they weren't able to help them. But verse 11 says, not that I res- speak in respect of want, meaning lack. I'm not, I'm not speaking from the, here, I need your money. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am, whatever state I'm in, therein to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know also how to abound. In everything and in all things have I learned the secret both to be filled and to be hungry, both to abound and to be in want. I can do all things in him that strengthens me. So Paul is saying, I'm grateful for your gift. But whether I have that gift or not, I can be content. So that's, yeah. that's, that's a question for us. How can I be content in, in a world where, there, where there's disease and there's hardship and unfairness and people do mean things to me? How can I be content? And one way is by doing what Paul did, rejoice in the Lord. Because right. if you're in the Lord, you've got something to rejoice about. There's... I don't know of anybody in the world that has everything they want. And if somebody has everything they want, they're not going to keep everything they want. Before we go on from this, two passages in Hebrews uh, that are in close connection um, chronologically. There's one passage in Hebrews chapter uh, 11, where Paul is talking about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Sarah, people who died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, I confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. This earth is the passing thing. We're just passing through. We'd sing a song. Here we are, but straying pilgrims. Straying pilgrims, is that what the song says? Yep. Okay. Verse 14. For they that say such things make it manifest that they are seeking after a country of their own. And if indeed they've been mindful of that from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, this translation actually says a better country, that is a heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed of them to be called their God, for he is prepared for them a city. All right, then we turn two chapters over, and the writer can say in Hebrews 13, verse 5, be free from the love of money, content with such things as you have, 
for himself has said, I will in no wise fail thee, neither will I in any wise forsake thee. So with good courage, we can say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What shall man do unto me? So the idea then of being able to be content because we have this promise uh, from the Lord of what our destination is going to be like. And here's a challenge. We all remember the story of the rich young ruler, right? He was rich. The Lord knew his riches were too important to him. And so what did the Lord say to him? There's one thing you, he said, what do I lack? Jesus told him, there's one thing you lack. And what did he say? Sell everything. And give it to the poor and follow me. What did that man do? He walked away with us. Yeah, and so we look at that and we say, oh, yeah, that was bad. He loved his riches. Now, here's the challenge. Hey, but hey before you get the challenge, make Go ahead. he didn't walk away content. Right. He away sorrowful. That's right. The Ethiopian eunuch went on his way rejoicing. Yeah. The, the, the rich young ruler went away starved. Very good point. Compared to first century standards, what are most everybody watching this webcast? Wealthy. We're, ri- we're right. very wealthy, yeah. Right. Now, if the Lord came and spoke to us and said, sell everything you've got, give it to the poor and follow me, how many of us would do that? Now, here's the point. If we wouldn't do it, the difference between us and the rich young ruler is not, oh, I'm lucky he didn't ask me to do that. There's not a difference between us and the rich young ruler if we would answer the same way. Well, somebody says, wait a minute, Scott. I mean, he was rich. And you say we're rich by comparison to first century standards, but he didn't even have the idea of a flat screen TV. That's fine. He didn't. Ha- he couldn't have a flat screen TV. But all my friends have flat screen TVs, and all my friends go to the Bahamas, and all my friends do this and that. So it's a little different because uh, we got to have that stuff. But, but but Jeff, you're 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 uh, you're not content now because you know someone else has got something that you don't have. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to share a chart here. I looked this up. Uh, a little bit earlier, if I can pull this up here and find the right one. Oh, it might have gone away. Yep, it did. I was closing tabs. Go ahead and uh, look Timothy, for it. Go ahead and look for it. it up. I was going to read in a minute First Timothy 6, uh, verse 6 through 10. If one of you could be taking us through that while I pull up this. Well, let me, let me just, while, while you're doing that, we'll get over to the passage in just a minute. But um, somebody was talking recently about uh, communists and, and who is bourgeois. And, and basically, if, if you have one cow, but your neighbor has two cows, then he's bourgeois. <laughs> he just, you know, it's, if he has more than I do, then, then he's got too much. Uh, now, this was a joke I heard when, when I lived over in, in East Europe. Um, and very vivid, uh, very interesting. So a genie offers a free wish to an Englishman, a Frenchman, and a Russian. And he says to the Englishman, you get one thing, what do you want? And he said, I want a country manor house. You got it. Frenchman, what do you want? He said, I want a chateau and a vineyard. You got it. To the Russian, he says, what do you want? And the Russian says, my neighbor has a goat and I don't. Kill the goat. <laughs> That's not the attitude of every Russian. But I tell you what, living in a post-communist country, uh, 
you saw the level of jealousy that created. Because one of the texts told me, he said, we were taught to resent people who had something we didn't have. Mm-hmm. I, I've got this. Uh, Before you uh, go there, I don't know if this relates to where you're going, but we did get a comment relating to what you're talking about now. Uh, JJ says, I'm not content because I must remain in this life. And I think Paul said something like that. He was like twix between the two options. And then she goes on to say, I have my hope in heaven through Jesus, and people are intolerant of my desire to go. Well, what Paul actually said in Philippians 1, he, he made it a win-win. Yeah, he, he said, did. if I get, I, he said, I may get killed. He said, if I get killed, I will get to go be with Jesus, which is better. But if I don't get killed, I'll get to stay here and help you. Yeah. Now, see, the discontent person you know, we've all heard the thing about the glass half full, the glass half empty. They're both right if it's halfway, but where you choose to focus makes a difference. The discontented person, I'm not dying yet, so I have to stay here. That's bad. Or I'm dying. I don't want to go. Well, Paul said he looked at the bright side of either way. Mm-hmm. If I die, I get to go be with the Lord. If I don't die, I get to help you. And, and then you see that contentment that he has toward the end. Yeah, right, so let me share this. Not the person who goes through this life just miserable. I just can't stand it here. I don't know why I have to stay here so long. When I get to heaven, finally I'll be happy. The, he, the, the, the Christian is the person who is happy for the opportunity to be of service to God, even in this life where there are things that are distressing and hurtful and harmful. So here is this, some really interesting charts here. And this is about, are people in third world countries happier than people in the first world countries? And somebody's responded here, and they posted several interesting charts from different sources and a few comments. And I'm going to share just a little bit of this with you. Uh, can everybody see my screen? Yeah, almost. Yeah. But I, I mean, yeah, I a bit. half the chart right now. Now we got less than half the chart. Oh, so it was better before I enlarged? Yeah. I don't know how much you want us to see. Do you want us to see the text or the chart or both? I want, oh, yeah. the char, I'm, I want to see the text. I'm not trying to show the chart yet. Okay. So, you can mark it. All right. I want to make it easier to read. All right. So here we go. Take a couple minutes on this. Um, first, notice this. One thing can be established. Many third world countries are pretty happy, though they are lacking in many things. Mm-hmm. How can that be? Why is it so? You see, dissatisfaction, I'm doing a bad job of highlighting here, is not just a factor of what you get. It's also a factor of expectations, what you think you need to get. After a threshold, the more you get, the more dissatisfied you become. Having low expectations leads to high satisfaction. So if here's your reality, and you would like it to be this, you expect it to be this, and you've got pretty much everything you expect. There's still some room for some ambition and some desire. I'd like to get to that point, but you're pretty satisfied where you're at. But if your reality is down here and you are expecting this, you can make yourself kind of miserable because I'm not getting what I'm expecting. And so he says, this works like this. If you don't know that a car is something to be owned, you don't feel bad about not owning the car. When people high above you own cars, you feel slightly jealous and maybe slightly ambitious too. 
By the way, one of those is not necessarily bad. One of those is bad. Don't be jealous. There's nothing wrong with being motivated to accomplish something. When your neighbor and schoolmate George owns a car and you don't, you can become excruciatingly envious, quite depressed, or angry. When your old man owns a car, doesn't let you near it, you walk out, revolution happens. But even more miserable are those who used to own a couple of cars in the past and now doesn't own any. Erg. And then here's a graph about, it has to do with how much wealth is in the country and how much people have. And so that relates to some of this, expectations and such. As you can see, countries with less expect expectation than actual prosperity are happier. Worse hit are countries that fell from grace where they used to have something. So here's one more. Diminishing returns. The richer a family gets, the smaller the reduction in negative emotions gained by the marginal dollar increase. Gains disappear after a while. And he says it works like you owning your first private jet after your fourth chopper lends way less satisfaction than the first bicycle you owned after decades of running around only on your feet without shoes. So if we think, and a lot of people think this, think how many poor people are playing the lottery every week because they think if I could ever just win that big lottery, I would be happy. I think we've all read stories about people that read, won the lottery and it comes out pretty poorly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Paul said this, I know how to be abased and how to abound. There are some people that know how to be abased, but they get a bunch of money and they can't handle it. They don't know what to do. There are other people who are very wealthy, and if the stock market crashes and they lose everything, they're ready to jump off a building because they don't know how to be abased. Mm -hmm. Paul was deeper than that. When he had a lot, he knew how to handle it. When he didn't have it, he knew how to handle it. Thoughts and observations. So you're saying the more we have in our country, the less happier we're going to be. Well, let me ask the, you this way. Is that what the survey, that's what the survey is showing, right? And, and, and let's, let's, let's talk about this too. The main goal of the Bible is not do whatever makes you happy, but peace and joy are fruits of the spirit. And there is like, if you get a new car that you've been wanting a long time, there's a certain level of satisfaction that you will get for a while but after a while, that decreases, right? You know, it, it's uh, Ecclesiastes puts it this way, Ecclesiastes 5.10. He that loves gold will not be... Satisfied? Well, yeah, will not be satisfied with gold, nor he that loves silver with increase. If I go out tomorrow and buy the state-of-art computer, state-of-the-art car, and the most fashionable clothes, and the coolest watch... Yes. <laughs> Two years from now, does that car model, did they upgrade it? Gave it the new front end, gave it some new features. Yeah. And, and now my clothes are a little bit out of style. And now what am I? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I've had I, my, my closet doors in our bedroom, the sliding bypass doors. And they have been, they, they're very, they were very cheap, cheap hardware, the light hollow doors. They constantly slip off. And anytime you try to open and close the doors, 
they would get stuck and it was always oh, an annoying pain. Uh, so I bought some good hardware, found some solid core doors, um, replaced my bypass doors. It gives me immense pleasure every time <laughs> I go to hang up my clothes now. In fact, <laughs> in fact now I do, I'm more reliable about hanging up my clothes because I get to open and close my, my sliding bypass doors. But yeah. you know what? If, if that is the if that is the fundamental source of my contentedness, <laughs> that's then, well, then a good day for you is opening the closet door. <laughs> well, one of these days, if that hardware breaks and my doors no longer work, I'll be ruined. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or what if you go visit Drew and Drew has an app on his Apple phone and it just you know, the closet doors open automatically and a thing extends. It's oh, well, I, You're like, I thought I was happy and now I find out I really don't have anything. <laughs> Years ago, I read an article about, it was comparing, I think, people in Chicago and Southeast Asia. This might, might have been back in the 90s, yeah. uh, mid-90s. And um, it talked about, you could have a very satisfied family that lived in a stilt house, you know, cause you're near a river and there's flooding, no electricity, no indoor plumbing, no air conditioning. You got a few chickens and a goat and that's what your neighbors have. And you're very satisfied. But if you live in Chicago and you, maybe you're on government assistance, you're classified as poverty level, but what are some things you probably have? Electricity, indoor plumbing, air conditioning, maybe cable, uh, which I wouldn't recommend, but lots of times I see poor people with cable and you've got all these things, but not satisfied because there's somebody else that's got something more. So let's take a look at this passage in first Timothy five. Better take a look quickly. All right. First Timothy six. <laughs> <laughs> I said the wrong chapter number. Oh, okay. <laughs> first Timothy six. Verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. Notice here which comes first. Godliness. It's not contentment. Hey, and add some godliness to it. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought what into the world? Nothing. Nothing. And what can we carry out? No U-Haul trailers uh, attached to hearses. Yeah. What did Job say when he lost everything in chapter 1? Naked came I into this world and... Naked, shall I go and depart? Yeah, yeah. And by, oh, well, I was going to make another thought, but let's go ahead and get back to the text. So neither we didn't bring anything to the world, neither can we carry anything out. But having food and covering, we shall therewith be content. That's a challenge for us. I was, I was reading a thing where somebody was talking to a little taxi driver uh, not a little taxi driver, but a driver of a little taxi truck in uh, another country. Yeah. And uh, I'm having troubles today. <laughs> and uh, he talked, when he was young, he was very poor and they couldn't afford rice. And the, so they had to eat this other thing. And he's really satisfied now because his children always have a full bowl of rice. There you go. Um, they that are minded to be rich fall into a temptation and a snare and many foolish and hurtful lusts, such as drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, but some 
reaching after have been led astray from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, it wasn't wrong to be rich, but there are three things, and maybe we can close with this, three things that Paul char- tells Timothy, charge those that are rich to watch these three things. What are they in verse 17? Charge them that are rich in this present world. Not to be high-minded. Okay, number one, not to be high-minded. Don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches on my closet doors. <laughs> yeah. And number three? Uh, number three, do good and be rich in good works, willing to share, basically. To yeah. up. So don't be high-minded. The fact that you've got a higher income, the fact that you're driving that new Mercedes, the fact that you live in a more exclusive zip code, does that mean you're a better person? Absolutely not. <clears throat> and and in, in James, it says, two men come into your assembly, one in fancy clothes and a gold ring, and you treat him well, and the poor man it says you become judges with evil heart. So don't be high-minded. Number two, don't have your hopes set on the uncertainty of riches, because what's going to happen to those riches? You're not going to get to keep Right. And number three, be rich in generosity. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Very good. Appreciate your input, your discussion. Appreciate the comments that came in. We want to invite everyone back again next week. Hopefully I'll have technical things cleared away because Jonathan will be back next week, hopefully. Um, good to see both of you and everyone in the audience. We're glad you're here and any last comments before we sign out, guys? Thanks. Thank you, and have a good week, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye.